You're listening to Inside Content, the TV industry podcast. This show is brought to you by Three Vision, a global TV industry consultancy specializing in content acquisition, strategy, research, and business development. Each episode, we give you VIP access to the views and experiences of senior TV executives and discuss the latest TV industry trends and insights. This week on Inside Content, we take a look at our new 2023 TV industry trends and predictions report with our EVP, Jack Davison, and director, Jack Thomas, to discuss topics such as AVOT growth, SVOD competition, free TV innovation, the evolution of pay TV, and of course, the unrelenting demand for content. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Inside Content. I'm Peyton Lombardo, a manager at 3Vision, and today we'll be discussing our much-anticipated new report, the 2023 TV Industry Trends and Predictions. This is an annual survey that we do every year with our extensive network of TV executives in order to figure out the industry predictions for the year ahead. If you'd like to download the full report, the link will be in the description, or if you want to access it via our website, you can head to www.3vision.tv slash news hyphen insights. Jack Davison, Jack Thomas, it's really good to see you guys. I uh, hope you're both well. Good, thank you. Very good. Uh, it's good to be here with you, Peyton, and and and, and the other Jack. You've got um, Jack Davison here. Um, I love talking about the trend survey. Um, it's always, uh, I almost consider it a luxury to take some time out. It's like when we do our podcasts and, and, and talk to our, our, our friends. Um, but but it's a luxury just to look at respondents' views this year. Um, obviously, 2022 was a pretty, it's probably pretty high, important to highlight the context that I think we're all aware of. But the, it was a crazy year. Uh, the reality was that the, the world economy didn't quite explode but it experienced and continues to experience challenges um tougher tighter financial conditions in most regions inflation back again for the first time in a long time money's no longer cheap for those funding rollouts and for lots of the stakeholders and for lots of the people who we asked for their views in this 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 survey uh, has implications on the ad market so for broadcasters and, and AVOD players cost of living crisis has impact on people selling services, pay TV and SVOD players, investor pressure for everybody. I think that's probably fed into a lot of these responses, but but we can talk about it. And obviously the media and tech stocks, they all took a beating last year. I think the NASDAQ was down over 30% and all of our media companies that we talk, we'll, we'll talk about suffered. Everyone was down. Um, and, and what with the hangover from COVID and the pressures this means on the streaming model and cost cutting and all these macro conditions help to increase the challenges for the stakeholders and i think that's reflected in a few places but but um yeah we should good to talk about it and good to be on with with jack thomas as well yes thanks jack um i think yours probably from me uh, you've summed up the year splendidly there and not as much more for me to add other than yes in sort of typical fashion over the last few years it seems like each year's ready to try and outdo the previous year as far as um, <laughs> disruption. Um, but yeah, uh, from me as a uh, director of Free Vision, I look after our uh, a lot of our syndicated research products like Show Tracker and Movie Tracker. So if I imagine a lot of my perspective you'll sort of hear today will be kind of focused on that sort of distribution element for both the shows and movies. But yeah, it's great to be here on Inside Content. Last time I was here was the last Trends Report. 
All right, great. Thanks, guys. So we can kind of just jump right into it um, and start talking about the trends. The first one we identified was that North America is ranked as the number one market for growth in 2023. Um, is this at all surprising to either of you guys? I can take that first. Um, it's never surprising that the US comes out on top um, for the very simple and probably blatantly obvious metric that it's big um, and worth a lot of money. Um, and for the for the people responding, I'm sure. We've got a. We've got a, It's not just. I know we're based in the UK. It's not just. But it's not just UK respondents. It's it's European and American respondents predominantly. Um, not there'll be a few from from kind of broader EMEA markets and probably a few from Asia as well. But um, but the US has always been highly valuable. Um, the I guess one of the sort of dominant parts of the conversation towards the end of the year was about spend of US media companies. And, and uh, I think maybe um, if we look at the results, I've got them in front of me. I mean, it, it wasn't, I mean, it, it was sort of categorical that it was in the, the US was in the sort of top three expected markets, but it wasn't everyone's top. Um, and I think that's probably reflecting some of the kind of fear around what's happening with the level of commissions coming out of the US and content spend and the pressure on these big, bigger streamers and bigger US media companies are having to save money. Um, and what with Warner Brothers needing to sell, save 3.6 billion and, and obviously HBO has been a great partner for, for, for UK players. I think that maybe has contained the response for the US, but it, it doesn't surprise me that it's up there because it is it remains a, a strong opportunity even though some people are, are maybe, maybe pulling it back a bit at the moment mm, it's a shame we don't do this trend every month because we probably see it start to see that uh sort of potential uh, uh hesitance come into play here if we were sort of doing a sort of continuous read of our you know, network as we sort of see more and more of those results come out early this year that sort of show that sort of sign of perhaps a bit more considerateness going forward um for me it's the, the interesting one is seeing india sort of going so quite as high as it is as well and we've seen a lot of, you know, studio escort activity that as well, you know, Disney took uh, control of Hotstar along with side it's sort of Fox takeover and sort of managed to sort of grow that fairly well with Disney Plus. But, you know, there's certain key rights, such as obviously with the cricket that they feel set to lose, that is sort of, uh, having a sort of damper on the service in that market, you know, that's, they blamed their loss of Disney Plus subscribers globally, almost wholly on uh, the Hotstar element. And we're starting to see some of their sort of competitors in that region start to pick up a lot of steam, food to select sort of the as part of that kind of paramount um, JV um, in the region, take, you know, taking that kind of vertical integration um, sort of strategy. We've seen so many other um, services do pretty much everything paramount going on there. And obviously them now getting the cricket rights as well. We're seeing it's one of the biggest markets for Amazon. We're seeing acquiring content. So it's definitely a lot of activity there. And obviously, you know, there's, you know, potential high uh, sort of revenue opportunities just for the sheer amount of people, even if you do have to potentially uh, sort of um, skew the pricing of your services down uh, below sort of what your uh, ideal RP would be. I think India is, is a is a perplexing market. It is huge. Um, but I think as you, when you when you dig into the market a bit deeper, obviously it is it's probably multiple markets collected together, given given the, the, the different language markets and different regional markets. But um, it doesn't surprise me that it, that it, that it remains exciting. It, it, 
I always find it hard, and I and I think when I talk to um, the kind of stakeholders, I think they do too, to generalise about markets. I mean, we, we, I get the feeling that kind of there's been ups and downs this year, and and they and they feel there might more ups and downs coming up. Generally, kind of stable. Some markets, a few issues here and there, but a few positive things around competition, where there's a bit more intense competition that 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 helps people. Um, and, and India and Latam has, have always had a slight split personality. I think it probably comes from the fact that you really don't have much of a free TV opportunity if you're an international content provider in those markets. Kind of you're restricted to the smaller pool of pay and 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 SVOD suppliers and um, perhaps some of the emerging AVODs and and even even more so becoming a bit more restricted to SVOD. So maybe that limits the opportunity for some. But actually, kind of when I look to this. And I just look at it again, the thing that kind of strikes me slightly is that kind of our respondents weren't more positive about Australia, which I know from the work we did with PACT and, and the respondents to the to the PACT survey, which is the export survey, which is a, a, a kind of different one that happens early in the year um, and looks at actually their actual performance in terms of revenues. Um, Australia came out much, um, uh, much higher in terms of feeling, but, but not so much in ours. I, I can't explain that, but, but it is interesting that it maybe doesn't feature as strongly. Mm. It's interesting on like the you know again taking that choco tracker perspective as we track so many shows sort of going into all these different markets as well. Um, Australia sort of has sat in a status quo for a very long time, being one of our sort of biggest markets with uh, sort of a healthy supply of third party buyers for US and UK content, and that's finally starting to be sort of challenged a little bit more with more and more vertical integration integration taking up. Uh, sort of the sales, even of the UK side of things, as BBC First sort of has its, uh, you know, relatively um, strong presence there compared to its presence in other markets as well. So it's we're starting to see that sort of potential sort of shift within Australia on the distribution side, and so maybe alongside that we're getting that knock-on effect with the content side as well, as far as sort of uh, things coming out and perhaps uh, spooking people a little bit. Uh, uh, to and not necessarily seeing it as sort of as strong as it might have once been, as we sort of see it sort of cave in a little bit more. And it's nowhere nearer to the level we see someone like Latin America, where we've seen most of the uh, most content going there these days is going straight to a studio restaurant. Uh, as far as uh, from the US and UK, as you said, yeah, not much for free TV, but not much for uh, anything that isn't owned by a studio as well, unless you're Globo Play these days. You guys touched on a lot of the markets um, in these results, so we can kind of jump into the next trend, which is that Netflix is seen as the streamer with the best growth prospects. Um, what do you think in 2023 is going to really define the year for Netflix and make sure that they, you know, ensure these, you know, growth prospects? The hopeful thing is always content with these sorts of things, and one would hope Netflix is going to sort of start taking a bit more of a considered approach you know we're, we've been tracking all these originals for some time and you know netflix more than anyone else sort of ballooned in terms of volume and this was just scripted content uh but perhaps i think what they what they might need what might be useful for their uh, both their budgets and sort of the service identity is take that sort of slightly more considered approach so less originals this year than previous originals but of a high value, of a high budget, of more likely to ones that are more likely to be renewed. There's you know, a lot of Netflix subscribers have sort of had frustration over the years as some of their favorite cult hits don't get renewed because they don't quite get as enough views. But with so much stuff coming out constantly, it's quite difficult for you to sort of continuously get those breakout hits as 
you inevitably sort of bury some of those sort of potential massive hits like a Queen's Gambit or even a House of Cards going well back, like well under sort of a lot of kind of deluge or sort of general content. Um, and with that as well, it means you can start to sort of pivot and your content strategy to be a bit more uh, tailored to uh, like fight back against sort of the growth of people like Disney Plus and obviously Amazon as well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you noted Disney Plus because it was ranked number one last year. And Jack uh, Davis and I were kind of talking about this. It dropped down to number four this year. Um, we noted in the report that it might be due to financial constraints. Uh, Jack Davis, would you mind elaborating? Yeah, it's it's very interesting about kind of what 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 the prospects that well they were ranked quite lowly low this year um, and that kind of Netflix remained high. I think to start with, I'd say that kind of, I think kind of, it doesn't surprise me that Netflix is number one. They are, they remain kind of, I think the poster child for SVOD, they're kind of whatever, 230 odd million now. I know they had an awful year, kind of they, they started off the, the, the year with, with, with sort of negative growth, their share price got hammered kind of, but they, and they ended up the year with revenue growth and subs growth, not that much granted, but ahead of targets in fourth quarter. Uh, and I think, as Jack says, they, they kind of people felt uh, this is hard to kind of actually analytically kind of qualify, but they felt their content may have slightly lost their way. But despite that, actually, if you look at the kind of Nielsen viewing numbers in the States, they were kind of 13 of the top 15 original export programs in the year. And, and uh, in terms of acquired, I think they had the vast majority. So despite all of these things, they're doing really well. They're number one in, you go across all the markets. We were looking at our, our markets, the kind of UK, France, Germany, Italy, and they go across all of those. They're generating the most export viewing. So, so they're winning, they're winning those markets. So I, I think Disney came, up, came in strong. Um, they came in with a great content set. Um, they got a lot of growth. They did really well. But now, as uh, Jack mentioned, a kind of key one, um, the, the the Indian market is causing consternation because we have to remember that that's um, it's near enough a third of their subs. It's uh, I think kind of it was over 60 million. I think it's got it went down in Q4 and they've got challenges there because they've lost the cricket and the IPL cricket. So big in India. Um, uh, but the two other regions, I think, were up a little bit in Q4 and they remain pretty single minded about uh, about growth. And they have kind of significant content pipelines and they have kind of significant kind of movie pipelines as well. So it surprised me that they bumped down so much. But as Jack said, kind of their content investments dropped. I think they they pulled back on, was it $100 million worth of the EMEA kind of content original budgets and, and some other things as well. So that's probably reflecting concern, especially some of our stakeholders are probably there looking kind of opportunities with Disney Plus, looking to maybe find co-pros in local markets, looking maybe to find some acquisitions. We've seen them buy third-party content a very small amount, but we've seen them do it. Um, so, and, and, and maybe that's kind of reflected in these concerns. Yeah, definitely. And kind of on the topic of, you know, productions and um, streamers, you know, the next finding is that 74% of our respondents agree that streamers are an attractive partner for local co-productions. Uh, Jack T, you're a guru of our show tracker and movie tracker services. Can you kind of talk a little bit about this uh, this finding and maybe some trends that seem to support this sentiment? 
I mean, the interesting thing is like, yeah, the sense, I mean, it's clearly very attractive to a lot of people to get involved with this. If you're a local service right now trying to find premium drama award winning content, it's very difficult because a lot of that content, when we, we tend to do analysis of things like the Emmys and you'll see it pretty much everything that's sort of in running for outstanding drama, outstanding comedy is either destined for, you know, it's a Netflix original. So, uh, you know, me as a local UK broadcaster is not going to be able to pick that up. It's an Amazon original, same issue. It's a, or it's a Hulu title that's distributed by Disney. So destined for Disney plus in, in my market. So I'm probably not going to pick that up. Or it's, um, you know, if it's none of those things, sometimes the, the, the only option left over is, oh, it's a volume deal. It's an HBO title. So it's going to Sky Atlantic. Um, so it's quite difficult to sort of find those really high end, high budget um, productions to even acquire, also, you know, and obviously much harder for a lot of local services to finance. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense for that sort of sentiment to be there and a lot of people to be really interested in that. What we see in the data, however, in show tracker is perhaps a sort of a slight dip in that this kind of activity is particularly with UK, US co-productions. Uh, we've seen some really interesting case studies that are quite recent, something like The Tourist with lots of different commissioners sort of coming in to help support that uh, around the world in 80 days. Again, that was sort of a lot of sort of the European broadcasters getting on board to sort of help get that off the ground as well. We see, you know, a few of these really interesting case studies, but as a sort of overall whole, they have been sort of going down. I don't necessarily think that means that, you know, that's that's it for them. We may, it can quite easily sort of go back up again. It seems very dependent on, uh, especially on the US side, their particular strategy for that year. You know, AMC were very big on sort of a lot of these co-productions as they launched AMC Plus in the US and kind of <laughs> sort of built up a kind of uh, reputation almost for AMC Plus. A lot of their AMC Plus originals have that kind of sort of premium UK uh, sort of um, style about them because just built by the fact that so many of them are UK co-productions. So they somewhat have got themselves into a corner where they might need to sort of keep that activity up if that does become the identity of AMC Plus for its subscribers and the expectation. But it's it's something that you know, we will probably see sort of dip up and down over the years. And obviously going into this year, it'll be one that's uh, particularly interesting to watch as you know a lot of these studios, as Jack was saying, sort of start to potentially take a little bit more control of their content budgets what does that you know what does that translate out as as terms of action does that mean potentially more co-productions because you can do it with less investment you can do it for reliable people or less co-productions because you'd rather do more things in-house with 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 the studios and everything that you know uh, uh and you know are sort of trustworthy hopefully produce trustworthy hits yeah i think i think this is going to be a really fascinating space this year because um ultimately the streamers still want to do co-productions. They still want to get hold of original content. They want to do productions. They now, have, rather than be able to say, here's my big fat checkbook, I'm going to do a show with you. I want all the rights and, and, and so on. Now they're having to control their costs a bit more. We understand there's sort of signs of a bit more flexibility coming. So maybe they don't need all markets. Maybe they don't, don't take as many rights. So that might make the, the project a little bit more um, appetizing or uh, attractive to partners as well so I think yeah let's see what happens this year yeah definitely and I think besides local content um lower priced ad tiers is another top rated SVOD priority um do you guys think that Netflix's success of the ad tiers will kind of influence how the rest follow I mean it's a little too early still to tell how their you know implementation of this will work but do you think this will be kind of a defining thing 
I think the, obviously there's two main metrics of, to measure with that is obviously how many people can they get onto that low price tier. So, you know, all these potential subscribers that they might bleed or have bled, how many can they keep on with that? But the other thing is obviously how much money they can potentially make from the ad tier themselves. They are sitting on a, you know, by most accounts, you know, a sort of uh, fantastic recommendation engine that takes in a lot of different factors uh, to sort of service your content from you know what uh, you know from what sort of demographic you are uh, to what time of day you're coming onto Netflix and you know all sorts of other things at play, changing the thumbnails and you know, lots of these lovely clever things to build a recommendation engine. If you turn that power into something to load up, you know, uh, very bespoke adverts for people, that could be a game changer in the world of advertising. Uh, you know, the moment we see a little bit of that sort of stuff happen uh, as you're sort of browsing around, unless you have an ad blocker. Uh, and sort of, uh, you know, Facebook sort of takes a lot of what the um, things that you like and follow and interact with on Facebook and feed that to advertisers. They'll follow you around. But obviously, certain things uh, sort of put a lot of damper on that. You know, Facebook's share price tumbled when Apple put up a lot of things to stop that kind of activity happening on their devices. Uh, if Netflix is able to really sort of create a uh, sort of, uh, or at least facilitate a really good advertising system for uh people coming in that could be the sort of big game changer for them where it's not only hopefully stopping that bleed of subscribers but becoming a significant revenue stream that might hopefully uh you know out um outpace the sort of loss of uh subscription revenue that they would have got for each person who goes chooses ad tier over um subscriber tier yeah you, you said it Peyton. it's too early to talk about some of these things because we don't really know what impact is having on Netflix uh, subscriber split, how, how it's all working. There has been some really kind of bits of data thrown out. People like Antenna and Ampere have thrown things out. All of those have pointed to kind of a relatively small percent of um, of the uh, of the people signing up to the US kind of ad tier. I think it was sort of eight, nine, ten percent were, were on the ad tier. The rest were on, on non ad tiers. And when they looked at those, I think when Antenna looked at those or one of the others, that around kind of uh, 30-odd percent were new sign-ups, about 50% were former subscribers, churn subscribers, uh, and the rest were downgrades. And that if, that if it continues on that arc, then it's kind of doing its job. It's bringing in more price-sensitive subs, and it's, and it's saving people who have churned probably due to price sensitivity and, and, and affordability, but but we'll see what happened. But what I think is, is really interesting that struck me as probably the more significant thing is that if you go and look to sign up to Netflix in uh, certainly in the US, the UK, and all, in fact, quite a few markets, all the markets I looked at, and you look at the three tiers they have on offer, uh, those, those the three tiers they offer to consumers are at the top, the premium for uh, 19.99 in the US. Uh, uh, the standard is uh, 15.49 in the US, and then the the lowest price tier that they put in front of consumers is basic with ads is the 6.99 tier, and they they skip out and and they don't uh, show the 9.99 tier. There is a small thing underneath thing see all plans, and you can see the 9.99 plan. But in the UK and the US and other markets, they are putting front and center the ad tier plan, and that that. So that kind of implies certainly that the kind of net ARPU of, of, a, of an ad tier customer is higher than, than the non-ad tier customers. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing that. Um, uh, obviously, it's early days. And they're trying to drive it. But it's going to be um, 
great to see kind of how it works and yes in your kind of opening question you can bet that kind of everyone else is going to be watching this really carefully yeah yeah definitely all right moving on to an always hot topic uh fast and avod uh, this year, specialist AVOD services are ranked number one AVOD opportunity. Um, I believe this was against uh, BVOD services and uh, fast channels. There seems to be a drop in faith of BVOD services compared against these other two categories. Uh, do you guys think that this is a product of the growth of fast in general? Or you know, why do you think there's less confidence in the BVOD services this year specifically? Uh, irrational overexcitement, probably. Um, no, I, I, I uh, obviously there's so many interesting developments in ABOD and FAST last year, and in fact, over the last few years. Um, the timeline of, of, of ABOD and FAST is a really interesting one to follow, kind of historically. Um, to be frank, if you talk to people content licensing about ABOD in 2007, 2008, 2009, be like, well, that's the piracy stuff, isn't it? Or that's stuff, we don't really want to get involved in that. We're not going to license to it. Uh, over the years, we've been through kind of legitimization of things like um, YouTube and Google, kind of launch of catch-up services, kind of the early kind of launches in Asia and Central and Eastern Europe of all the ABOD services there, where kind of they were very late to adopt SWOD, so they went ABOD first. Um, and then it wasn't really until... Kind of well, it was about 10, 10 years ago, 2013, I think, Pluto launched. Then we started to see kind of Tubi, a few other initiatives. Um, it's changed. I mean, but whilst it's changed, I think the most important point I I always like to make is that if you look at the pie of Avoid, okay, within that, you've got YouTube, you've got Facebook, both of whom take a huge amount of the of, of those revenues. Okay, it's a different sort of revenue, but they they still take it. Um, then you've got the specialists, so the, the Roku's, the Pluto's, um, then you've got the, the specialists that are kind of the OEMs, the C manufacturers like the Samsung's and the Vizio's and the LG's. Uh, and, and then you've got you've got the broadcasters and the broadcast services. The, the imbalance that we've got now is everyone is really interested in the space because the revenues in America have been growing very fast. I think kind of estimates are it's about 80% of global revenues. Um, and, and they're looking at global markets, seeing it's going to grow, it's going to grow. But the shape of the markets is very different. The BVOD players in other markets have got much more power. If you talk to the people in the content licensing market, that's definitely true. Kind of they, they view fast as a, as a linear right. Kind of if they're taking kind of taking their windows, they're protecting themselves against any other kind of fast players. If anyone's doing it, they'll be doing it with their own fast channels or their own digital players. Um, and so I'm actually quite surprised. Well, I think I'm not surprised really with the response. I think the response reflects that there are these new incremental opportunities coming from these specialist ABLE players from people selling content and also to some extent people co-producing and, and creating projects because we are seeing some of that activity in the US. Um, so th this is this great new incremental opportunity. But in but outside of the US, I'm, I'm sort of kind of the the kind of the almost the, the kind of the stronger opportunity in terms of volume really would be the BVOD players, it, and we see a lot through kind of I know what Jack does with Show Tracker. We see a lot of kind of all of that adjacent releasing with broadcasters is has more and more of it has moved to be a pure able release. So on in the UK on all four and. Canada on CBC Gem and France on kind of the mighty F1s and in Germany on RTL and Join and so on. And, and uh, 
and then and with that they also even have escort initiatives but so it's it's a bit of a um it's not a simple kind of way to to answer it and look at it there are these great opportunities with the c manufacturers and with the the kind of the specialist able players um in, including fast but but i think don't outside of the us kind of i i, I wouldn't underestimate the board yeah i think if you uh, had a look at yeah, this sort of uh, the, if we focused our uh, target uh, audience on, of the report on somewhere like EMEA, we probably would see BFOB be much higher because that's we see a huge amount of that activity there. You know, with ShowTracker, we're looking at where all the sort of brand new scripted series are going uh, across the across our global markets. And as far as like first window sales, uh, it's it, and we're if we're talking about things in a sort of you know free video on demand space and so a sort of AVOD BVOD space. It's more likely to be BVOD than AVOD. A lot of the first window activity from these sort of AVOD specialists is largely just sort of uh, limited to the originals that they're putting out, which are, you know, not insignificant in themselves uh, as far as those sort of brand new first window licensings we see. And it's the BVOD services that are really sort of driving a lot of that activity there. And you know, throughout a lot of these broadcasters, it is kind of have your cake and eat it too. If they're not, if they're not licensing something directly to their BVOD service as a digital only release, and it's got a linear release. More and more, we're seeing, particularly in places like the UK, uh, it, uh, every episode of that uh, linear sort of acquisition will go up on the BVOD service at the time of its first episode release. So they're you know, happy to prioritise the kind of digital uh, uh, side of their business at the potential expense of the linear transmission getting less ratings as people elect to just binge it on the catch-up service instead. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I think we have time for a couple more questions. Uh, one of the other findings we had here was about scripted TV series, and this being the you know very dominant uh, you know vote for the best content for subscriber acquisition. Um, what? Why do we think this is? You know, what is it about scripted series specifically that folks see so much potential in? Yeah, I guess maybe. Maybe all the services are looking for their next uh, the next box set binge, aren't they? They 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 want to offer that box set that hooks people in uh, with an arc of viewing that that enables them to stay. I mean, there is such a currency in 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 TV series. I'm I, I'm not. Yeah, maybe it'd be interesting to look at kind of how they compare kind of movies and things with it. But there is such a I guess cult, kind of cultural kind of uh, kind of strength in, in kind of demand for kind of that new box set, that new TV series that everyone's going to be talking about. I don't know whether it's as simple as that. Yeah, I think if you if you sort of look at some sort of other uh, people out there who sort of perhaps monitoring things like Twitter and the buzz around things a lot more, you probably see there is that there that sort of more consistent chatter about scripted TV series compared to other things because obviously it's something that can go on over several weeks. And there is a drama going on and there's lots of theories and all that sort of thing going around. Uh, it's also something that obviously can reach out to global markets quite easily. Yeah, we saw unscripted uh, be quite low. Yeah, that's more likely to be a perhaps more market specific thing, even if it is you know, ultimately derived from a format. Uh, you know, there is, uh, and that exists globally. Obviously, those particular versions of the shows are usually particular to their markets. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, it, I think that was also reflective in the sort of change of pattern of releasing with these things. You know, we saw Netflix and it continues to sort of pioneer the, you know, we're going to release the entire season in, at once as a box set. And all these studio escorts kind of turning their nose up at that strategy for the most part and releasing weekly. 
uh, something that made sense, you know, a lot more sense when they were first launching, you know, when when Disney Plus launched with a uh, trial, uh, if they put every episode of The Mandalorian, the marquee title that they released alongside the service up, then people could get trial, watch the whole series and then unsubscribe again. And that same thing's true even without a free trial. You, you, you a 10 episode run ensures that you're at least getting two months out of people. But we, you know, these services have enough con- new content coming out now uh, that it that can't necessarily be the sort of full strategy driving those decisions anymore. And some of it might be that you sort of you can examine the kind of overall sort of impact these sorts of things have on uh, on on things like Twitter, which obviously in itself will eventually sort of hopefully convert to more viewers or more subscribers, and see that it's better to sort of have lots of little splashes once per week as opposed to one big splash. Uh, for one big box set release. Yeah, and onto the topic of cord cutting. Um, this was a pretty split uh, question that we asked. Our respondents were very, you know, 50-50 on this about how quickly cord cutting will accelerate uh, this year. So w- what do you think, I mean, Jack D, about why executives are so split here? I think that we should, we should, um, we should cross-tab where they're from um, and, and, and look at who, the, who, who they are because... There's a lot of kind of territorial disparity over over the kind of progression, well, the progression today and the future prospects for pay TV. Obviously, kind of there's big, big challenges everywhere. Lots of challenges in the kind of the more developed markets to hold on to revenues as people are kind of spinning down and maybe taking skinnier packs with OTT or or maybe churning. Um, but but there's lots of markets where pay TV isn't as expensive and it's more of a utility. So the likelihood of kind of churn there is, is, is lower. Um, but so, yeah, I think it's probably a lot to do with where they're from. Uh, uh, pay TV is in a, actually kind of two years ago, maybe, maybe a bit longer. I would have been a bit more cynical about their rate of innovation and rate of change. Obviously there were some really doing it, but, but there were lots who were really, I think felt sitting, sitting on their hands, but, but that is, is changing. They, they they have all kind of evolved their proposition, both in terms of what the consumer proposition, in terms of how affordable it is and what pricing there is, and and then also in terms of aggregating and, and bringing on board the OTT um, SVODs and, and they, these other suppliers that consumers wanted that they may have been resisting or being slow to integrate. So um, there is still pressure and there will st- still be losses, but I think it will vary a, a lot by market. Yeah, definitely. And I guess to kind of wrap this up, um, if you guys think, you know, one trend that might define 2023, we've kind of covered a lot of ground here about fast, about streamers, co-productions, local content, all of this sort of thing. If you kind of had to, you know, nail it down on one trend you think might define the year, you know, what do you think that, you know, our respondents should kind of look out for? Jack T, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. I think there's a sort of combination in terms of both subscription growth and cord cutting. That's the sort of interesting one where you'd be We've seen a lot of these sort of big SWOT services start to bleed subscribers here and there. So whether they're sort of new initiatives, whether that's you know, ad tiers, you approach content sort of helps keep those subscribers in turn. And then obviously in effect, how that might as well affect cord getting. We're seeing, you know, a lot of people, I think one big hope for pay TV is that they can become that super aggregator as there's just too many services for people to subscribe to. Uh, and so it's a case of, 
you know, will uh, how much uh, the sort of SFODs may, uh, especially the studio SFODs who may have cut more cut ties with their sort of previous uh, sort of pay TV partners in various markets, uh, might sort of go back and sort of re-establish those partnerships to help support their services. So that potential turn, I think a lot of people, especially sort of people who maybe of an older generation than me have been hoping for that um, uh, that pay TV could sort of have its come back and we kind of almost reset back to the days of package deals, except now it's just the SFOD instead of channels. Uh, this might be the year we start to see a little bit more of that happen. But obviously, you know, like those big sort of pay TV package deals, which often were, you know, Price much higher than we're sort of seeing the price of content now for consumers. It would it'd be interesting. We have not looked at touched on this subject uh, in this report, but obviously it'd be interesting to see if people sort of go that one step further of cord cutting and see a sort of growth in pirate activity as well, as that's obviously something that's always there lurking in the shadows in this industry that sort of seeks to sort of cut everyone out of the loop. Yeah, and Jack D, any final thoughts? Um, there's a lot of things you could jump on for trends last year. I think the I, I, I'll go for a boring one. I I think kind of uh, uh, um, cost or financial realism. I think was the was the theme. I, I think I felt kind of kind of hit. I mean, not 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 everywhere, but it always it never ceases to amaze me. I have been in in the industry just for long enough, I have to admit. But but you you see the waves and you see the cycles and and every, the fact that kind of Q1 was it Q1 just the end of Q1 this year suddenly Wall Street decided that they weren't going to fund the kind of subscribers at any cost model because um, they didn't didn't think it was the right thing to do. So. Everyone knew that it was going to get tougher for SVODs. Everyone knew competition was going to get harder. The markets were going to be more saturated. There were so many people involved. So, so, but but the sudden abrupt change and then this kind of subsequent kind of realism in in in, in kind of controlling the content costs, um, to to me, kind of was was kind of quite a strong theme from people we spoke to. But um, that that's that's probably a bit a bit negative and a bit boring. That's all right. It's it's realistic. Um, great. Thanks both. Um, I'm sure our listeners will get some really good insight from this. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Inside Content. Make sure to drop us a rating on your listening platform and follow us to make sure you never miss an episode. And again, if you want to access the report, you can download it. Um, the link is in this description or you can access it from our website. Thank you guys again. I uh, hope you guys have a good night. Great. Nice to be on it. Take care. Thanks, Peyton. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside Content, the TV industry podcast brought to you by 3Vision. With decades of TV industry experience and real-world success, we know the ins and outs of the market like nobody else. To learn more about our TV consultancy services, head to 3vision.tv.